0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I Also Hate Pit, joined by my brother, Jeremy J.N. Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, anyplace. Get at your boys. Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mills. Today we are recapping a fantastic first weekend for the Kansas Jayhawks. Look, that second game is a little bit closer than we really wanted it to be, but they made it through. Survive in advance. That is the mantra that comes, you know, in the middle of the NCAA tournament. Uh, so the, the men were able to move on to the second weekend. We'll be playing in Chicago this upcoming weekend against a, a group there that I don't think was quite what we were expecting. But here to break it all down, to help me talk about all of this, coming back to the podcast, it is Steve Fetch, one of our analysts over at Blue Wings Rising. Fetch, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, good. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty good. So that tournament, um, there was a little bit more chaos than I think even I was planning for. Like, what, what were your thoughts on that first weekend of the tournament?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, seemed, it seems like every year it, it kind of will, will surprise you. Um, I mean, the two that that stand out to me, obviously, are St. Peter's over Kentucky Um, and then probably the the game of the tournament thus far, in my mind, that Baylor North Carolina overtime game where, you know, it seemed like North Carolina had it all sewn up, and then Brady Manning gets ejected in the second half, and then Baylor makes that huge comeback and and takes it to overtime, which was crazy, and um, I think everyone in the world, myself included, thought that once Baylor got it to overtime, that they were going to win by, you know, I mean, as many as 8 or 10 points, they just had all the momentum, and Carolina had some guys fouled out and stuff, so uh, great fortitude by by Carolina to win that one. Obviously, you know, if you're a, a Big 12 fan as a whole, you know, you're a little disappointed, but um, still a, a great weekend of basketball.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was a little bit disappointed mainly because I had like I thought that Baylor was going to go a little bit further than that and kind of had picked him in my bracket. My bracket wasn't a complete mess before that game, but um yeah, no. It, it, I mean, it was also one of those things. I I do want to get your thoughts though on that ejection though, because I've seen a lot of people that have a real big problem with the ejection. I mean, the way I kind of saw it, the way that that game was, and and it's honestly a theme of the entire tournament. That was probably, or I thought it was one of the worst officiated games that I had seen ever. Um, and then the TCU Arizona game, I think, one up that even worse. But it seemed like the refs let North Carolina get away with a lot of stuff early in that game, which kind of escalated the situation, got Baylor frustrated and they lashed out a little bit and manic decided to, uh, kind of up that. Um, you know, it's, it, it's funny cause most of the people that were saying, man, it was a horrible objection are looking like the above the rim camera, um, you know, view that they have, um, where it looks like he just, you know, threw his elbow back trying to block him out. But if you look from the front, it almost, it, it looks almost like, you know, the whole, the whole chicken wing incident where the, where the K-State, uh, fans came out on the court and like, we're chicken wing right. and, you know, KU guys. It was like, he lifts one arm way up high and the other arm is like down by his side almost. And, and the one that just happens to go way up high hits, you know, hits him in the face. So, um, I thought it was maybe kind of borderline, whether it should have been a flagrant one or a flagrant two, but I didn't necessarily have a big issue with that objection or I'm sorry, the ejection. What were your thoughts on that? Did did yeah. you think they kinda of went a little overboard or were they trying well, trying so to Well, a bit, bit of ahead. a
1: bit of a cop out here because I didn't see it live. Um, you know, once Carolina got up by so much, I was like, I got some stuff to do. Yeah, you know, there's gonna be other games on, I wanna, you know, get, get some stuff done before the Kansas game and stuff. So I didn't see it live. And I kind of am of the mindset that if you can't, you know, determine it live, it probably shouldn't be an ejection, that sort of thing, unless it's, you know, there's obviously, you know, if you just flat out miss it and don't see it type deal. Um, so I guess, you know, from that standpoint, the people who did see it live, you know, seem to think that it probably should have been more a, a flag or a one type deal, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't have a huge problem with it. Um, you can't really have guys elbowing each other in the face and stuff like that in basketball. So, Um, you know, one of those things where I'm sure Manic, he was getting frustrated, you know, and the stuff I was watching beforehand, getting frustrated by the, the antics that Jeremy Sohan was doing. And, you know, those antics certainly continued more towards the second half and and into overtime and stuff. So, um, I get it. Tempers run high. I'm sure he was frustrated and stuff like that, but, um, and it's, you know, a 25 point lead or whatever, at that point, you kind of think that nothing's really going to happen, um, in terms of being in danger of losing the game. So, um, that that part of it almost makes it swing more towards more intentional to me, just, just because it's not like it's a close game where you have to be extra careful. But um, I guess after, you know, just watching the replay, I think the replays um, made it look worse than what, you know, I kind of saw described on Twitter and stuff like that. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it was one of those things where I, I said live, I was like, Oh man, that, that could be a flagrant. You know, like, when when they actually originally called it. I I thought it should have been a flagrant one. And then I looked at the replay and you could see where he, like, looks back over his shoulder a little bit. And then happens to, like, cock that arm at just the right angle that it happens to hit him square in the face. It's just like, there's definitely more intention than I initially thought. And so it's like, well... I, I I would have been fine if they left it at a flagrant one or if they had put it at a flagrant one instead of a flagrant two. But the fact they put it to a flagrant two, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, to be honest. Um I, I like everyone else, kind of figured that, well, Baylor's so far out of this that you're going to eject that guy. You know, it's going to kind of send the message that you want to send that you, you know, you can't. Now, obviously, I think the bigger message is that the refs need to not be absolute trash before then so that it gets to that point. But, um, you know, you kind of did have to rein it back in. The problem then is that, they then swung too far the other direction, right? Like they they ended up letting um Baylor get away with a whole bunch from that point forward, which just reinforced the the, the thought process of everybody that oh my gosh, they were favoring Baylor, trying to get Baylor back in the game. And really, it was just they were absolutely atrocious the entire game, which unfortunately was seems to be a theme in the incident the in the Instability tournament this year. It was a theme throughout most of the season as well. Um, I don't want to turn this into a let's complain about the officiating show, but so, so this will be our spot here to talk about it. Like the officiating, you agree with me, right? That the officiating was absolutely atrocious the the entire weekend, right?
1: Yeah, they've been terrible across the board. I mean, I said this a couple times. I mean, it, it's not a good look for the sport when it seems like anytime there's a game that's within, you know, 20 points. Um, results-wise, that the losing team can say, well, the ref sucked and have, like, a legit complaint. Um, I mean, I, th- I think there were quite a few calls in that uh, um, in that Kansas game that, you know, if Kansas would have lost the game, they could have had some major complaints. I mean, the Jalen Wilson, you know, trying to draw the charge, that was, like, the only charge call in the history of the world that didn't get called, and then that one where um, he got fouled going to the basket, and, and then, you know, Ryan Hawkins was out of bounds saving it, and Creighton got it late, um, and then on the flip side, I mean, there were, you know, some calls that went Kansas' way that, you know, maybe shouldn't have either that, you know, McCormick block. It did look like when he followed through, he hit, um I, I think it was Kaluma, but I forget um in the head. Um So, I mean, it, it's just one of those things where um anytime you lose the game, it's like, you can be like, well, the ref sucked and have a point. And I think that's, you know, it's certainly a problem going forward and something that they, they probably need to fix somehow.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the rest did not, have a great weekend. But you know who did have a great weekend? Anybody who purchased something from a sponsor here on the podcast, Homefield Apparel. Because Homefield Apparel is the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. They have t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies. And more, a hundred plus different logos, you know, vintage logos from a bunch of different schools, and they keep adding more all the time. They just finished up Big New Saturday season three before, you know, the NCAA tournament. Kansas obviously was included in that, and let me tell you, I am loving the stuff that they have. So it is absolutely fantastic. If you have not already gone over there and taken a look at all of it, uh, you don't know what you're missing out on. You need to go do that right now. During March Madness, they actually are running what they're calling their third month mania specials. Um, you guys already missed out on the mystery boxes. Not sure if those are coming back or not. They, they, they might be at some point, but they are running all kinds of specials, introducing new shirts for teams that made the sweet 16, doing a whole bunch of great stuff. So go on over to homefieldapparel.com. Check it all out. If you use promo code chalk 12, you can get 15% off your entire first order and all orders over hundred dollars for free shipping. I can guarantee you, you are going to find all kinds of great stuff. Not just KU stuff. There's a whole bunch of other things from other schools that have fantastic logos that I promise that you're going to love. So, again, head on over to HomeFieldApparel.com, use promo code CHOC12, get 15% off that entire first order, and all orders over $100 have free shipping.
1: Basketball season is finally here, Big 12 fans. And for your home for men's and women's basketball, come to Midwest Madness. We are doing game coverages going over game analysis, different rankings of teams, and consistently looking at the best matchups in the conference. You're not going to want to miss out on all the amazing basketball coverage we have, so go check out Midwest Madness, available wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: All right, Fetch. So, obviously, we're here to talk about Kansas and what they did. Uh, Don't really think either of us have more thoughts about the Texas Southern game, because let me tell you, that game was... um, well really there's not much to take out of it so let's let's jump right ahead to the Creighton game um a little bit closer than I think most people expected given that they were without you know Ryan Kultbrenner, their their 7-1 center but uh what was the main thing that you took out of that game
1: yeah I think you know you're, you're right I mean but uh on the other hand you know a little tougher to prepare for a team when you have literally no film on what the makeup of that team is um I also think not that they would necessarily would have been easier to attack with Renner in there, but maybe a little bit straightforward, you know, kind of a, a big man who's not super mobile. You can kind of pull them outside and, and attack them that way. and you kind of know what you got? Whereas they did kind of have to uh, adjust on the fly on both ends on Saturday to the lineup that was out there and, and they did a good job and, you know, did a, a pretty good job um, absorbing a couple of really good games from uh, Alex O'Connell and, and Arthur Kaluma. Um And I mean, you know, Trey Alexander had a nice game as well too. So um, you know I thought Creighton played well for especially for what they had but um I guess my takeaway is you know Creighton really good defense obviously a lot of that with Call Krenner in there but you know Kansas looked out of sorts offensively I think it's probably fair to say but yet for you know as much as they looked out of sorts they still scored the most points for possession against Creighton since um, you know Villanova did in January 3rd I believe I don't know their full schedule but it you know it's been two months since someone scored that many points for possession against Creighton so Um, pretty impressive game for Kansas. And I think it just, you know, goes to show that, you know, you really got to turn in a special performance to, to shut the team down and, um, you know, defensively, I thought Kansas played okay. Um, you know, I think if, uh, you know, Kaluma doesn't have his career day from three, if, you know, maybe Alex O'Connell is more on his, um, season long, uh, you know, percentage from three and same with Trey Alexander, um, you know, maybe, um, you know, maybe Kansas wins that game by, you know, double what they did um obviously it's easy to say that now and, and obviously a lot of things change if Creighton's, you know not shooting the ball well from three maybe they adjust and, and shoot a little bit better from two that sort of thing but you know i think when you when you break it down to the you know the things that kansas can actually control the two-point defense stuff like that to I mean i thought they they played pretty well so um seeing some doom and gloom out there about how you know they only won by seven points or whatever but you know Win's a win. Um, I don't know if we'll talk about the Providence game much at all, but, I mean, they've been proving all year that a win's a win, and, you know, whether you win yeah. by one or a hundred, it, it still it still goes in the W column. So um, that matters a little bit, you know, predictively going forward, but in terms of results-wise in March, uh, if they win by a point, that's good enough for me. Well, and,
0: I mean, kind of to your point, like, this was a – I actually thought it was a really good performance defensively because you look at what Creighton typically does, right? They are – um, and, and we were talking about this actually in, in the preview, Brendan and I were, they are the 305th best team shooting from three, right? They make 30.8 on the season. I believe that actually takes into account as well. The 42.9% in front threes that they made in this particular game. Like they were going absolutely ballistic. I think at one point they were up at like 67% early in the second half. They were just shooting lights out from three in this particular game, which is what kept it close at halftime. You know, and then Kansas finally starts to exert their will a little bit. Um, Creighton starts to have some problems and Kansas was able to kind of pull away, gave it a back a little bit. But still, like they ended up winning by seven points. And I don't know that it was ever really in doubt in the second half. Yes, Creighton made that run to get it back within one. But I don't think most people were really concerned about the idea of Kansas potentially losing that game as long as they were able to hold on to the lead.
1: Yeah. I I think, you know, you take out those two desperation threes at the end, or they missed, I mean, they're probably closer to like 46% from three for the game on like actual, you know, quote unquote, actual real attempts. Um, So yeah, the fact that Kansas won that game despite that, you know, that's a game that a lot of Kansas teams in the past probably lose. Um, You know, Creighton makes that run. I mean, they're only down by one at halftime, despite Kansas, you know, having a couple opportunities to pull away there. You know, there may be some teams in the past that kind of, you know, start to doubt themselves a little bit. Obviously, like you said, Creighton goes on that little run. Um, I can definitely think of a couple of uh, you know, good Kansas teams in the past that maybe uh, don't win that game. So um, I don't, I still don't know how, you know, talented or whatever this team is, but I definitely think they're a, a tough team. And, you know, guys showed up and, and made big plays when it counted. You know, David McCormick had a pretty tough game overall, but had that game saving block. You know, Oshay of a tough game shooting, but had the big offensive rebound and put back late in the game. Um, you know, Jalen Wilson had a rough start but finished with a double-double. I mean, just, just guys, you know, kind of um, fighting through some tough starts to, to have, you know, big plays when it counted. And then, obviously, you know, their new secret weapon, Remy Martin, kind of kind of saving the day once again. So, Yeah, um, I, I,
0: I, I, I want to talk about Martin here in just a minute. But the other thing kind of defensively that I honestly was really impressed by, and, and I wonder how much of this is just the fact that Ryan Kalkbrenner was gone, but, you know, they typically, they being Creighton, are, you know, a fairly good inside shooting team. 53.3% is is typically what they do. They only shot 29% from two in this game. And I think a lot of that was Kansas was forcing them into, you know, mid-range jumpers, which are by far the least efficient shot in all of basketball. Um, you know, they weren't really able to get to the rim too often. They, they made it a few times but again Kansas was doing quite a bit to keep them out of the inside I'm sure that would have been a little bit different with with Colt in there they probably would have been more efficient from there but as you said before they probably wouldn't have been you know skewing so heavily towards the three which means that I don't know that it would have been a huge difference like it probably would have brought them back more in line with what their normal averages were um, you know and and that theoretically could have worked in Kansas favor to make them win by even more so I I honestly thought even though that Even though Creighton scored 1.03 points for possession, according to Ken Palm, I mean, I still feel like it was a really good defensive effort, given the fact that they had, you know, all of basically 24 hours prepare for this team with the new configuration. We had talked about this going into the game. It's like, you know, you you do wonder about how much how much they're going to have to try to learn on the fly with this team, how much they're actually going to be able to use the stuff that's on the game plan. And, And yes, theoretically, Kansas should have been able to exert their will a little bit more. But when you have. Abaji who's off you have christian brown who's off like they and they both ended up with double digit points like you talked about but like you could just tell that they did not appear to be playing the way that you normally would expect those two to play and it definitely seemed to me like creighton was doing quite a bit to try to take those two guys away and it and it worked really well
1: yeah and and specifically Abaji. i mean we've talked about this before but i mean ever since really that kentucky game teams have been really selling out to to stop him from taking perimeter jumpers and it's working. I mean, his shooting splits have certainly gone down since that time. Um, But if you look at the points per possession, especially if you, you know, adjust for opponent like Torvik does um, the offense as a whole really hasn't dropped off. So, you know, as Abaji has been kind of slowly but surely taken out of um, the game, you know, other people have stepped up and and the offense as a whole has, um, you know, kept their level or or maybe even increased a little bit. So that's encouraging to see as well. Obviously that, you know, coincides with the reemergence of Remy Martin and and Jalen Wilson and Dave as well. I mean, he's been been pretty good in Big 12 play and, um, you know, was pretty good um, in Big 12 tournament when he played and and pretty good in that Texas Southern game before, obviously, you know, not doing so well in the Creighton game. But um, I know you're going to have a a bigger, longer um, Providence preview, but I just want to get this out there about Dave because I do think, you know, we've talked a lot about this year how, he's good in those one-on-one post matchups and, and prominence has a post guy who they love to throw it into. And it sounds like from, you know, reading fan opinions on the internet, which can be dangerous, but it sounds like they're going to try to, to get, you know, one-on-one post matchups against Dave over and over. Um, and if they do that, I mean, I, I think Kansas is going to have a, a pretty comfortable win in front of them. Um, Cause I, I don't think that's the way you score on Kansas. You can score on them a lot of ways, but I don't think one-on-one post matchups against Dave is is the way to do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially since, I mean, I haven't done a deep dive into their roster yet, but I don't think they actually have anybody that is significantly bigger than Dave, right? Like if they were, if, if Nate Watson was much taller or much stockier then I would think maybe he could like push Dave around, but I don't think that they really have anybody on the roster that can do that. And Dave has shown the ability to stand up to those guys. You know, like he, he stood up to to guys like Eddie Lampkin, you know, really well on on, on TCU, like the, Teams that you see guys that theoretically could give Dave problems, he's done fairly well, especially recently of stepping up to that challenge and performing at his best at that point. So yeah, I would expect Kansas to have a really good game, especially David McCormick in that particular game coming up. Um, I did want to, I mean, obviously we, we, we have to talk about Remy Martin. He had an absolutely fantastic weekend to, to kind of build off of the big 12 tournament that he had. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to say that. Well, I mean, he, he was MVP, according to Ken Palm, in both of the games against Texas Southern and against Creighton. And I, I really can't argue with that at all. Like, there's definitely other players that played fairly well. I think Jalen Wilson probably played better than a lot of people are giving him credit for, um, as, especially with the rebounding presence that he was. But, like, you look at the guy that took over these games for Kansas, and it was Remy Martin.
1: Yeah, I think the the Texas Southern game was probably a function of everyone played and everyone played well. And, right. and you know, it just it just ends up being someone. But, yeah, that Creighton game, I mean, there were a few possessions in the second half there where it was kind of, I don't know if I would say someone was like scared to make a play or whatever, but it was like, everyone was looking for that perfect shot to take. And so they were kind of overpassing a little bit. Um, And it was, you know, it became Remy Martin time, you know, it, it was give Remy the ball and and go make a play. And, you know, boy, did he obviously, you know, the, you know, four turn or uh, excuse me, four assists are great, but, Um, you know, the shot making was incredible. He didn't always get the best shots. I mean, there were a couple of ones in there that that were a little bit questionable, but but, I mean, five of nine from two and and two of five from three, and, you know, did a a pretty good job getting to the line and obviously made all four of those. I thought he was pretty pesky defensively too, you know, Um, off the ball, he's still not great, but, you know, he can hound you on the ball and, and make those kind of, you know, hustle plays that'll frustrate you. You know, we talked about the last time I was on that um, backcourt or, uh, um, you know, stepping over the line on the inbounds pass uh, turnover that he forced when they played Texas Tech in the Big 12 title game. And, you know, he did some stuff like that in that Creighton game, too, where he was just kind of a, a pest. And he just got, I mean, he's just got endless energy, it seems like. And um, seems like he's really found a role coming off the bench. And, and I think when it's winning time, I mean, Bill Self has gone to him late in the game twice. Um, you know, he was in there uh, at the end of the game in that Texas Tech game and, and then again in that Creighton game.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's really hard to argue with just like what he's turned into. And this is the guy that everybody was expecting, right, to have early in the year. That's why he was named Big 12 preseason player of the year. Like everyone expected him to to really kind of find his footing really early and really get going. And it never really happened. And all of a sudden it clicked right before or right at the Big 12 tournament. Um, you know, I'm hearing a lot of national guys are like, oh, my gosh, with Remy Martin – like this team has a national title like ceiling at this point, which I, I thought they actually did anyway. It was just a matter of getting, you know, like it was going to require Ochai to play well and Brown to play well and Wilson to play well. If they didn't have Remy, but that gives them that, that fourth option essentially out on the perimeter, you know, with, with Martin playing really well. Um, I mean, looking ahead, is there, is there anything at this point now that Martin has come on that really worries you about this team that really is going to cause problems for them moving forward in the next couple of weeks?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I think the defense is always a concern and, and you always wonder what happens if a team shoots like Creighton did, but also has the ability to score inside on you, you know, that, that's kind of the main thing, um, you know, Providence specifically, they'll, they'll take a few more threes and they're a, a decent shooting team. You know, they got two or three guys who are shooting, you know, in the high 30, low 40% and um, Kansas traditionally has not done a very good job guarding those guys. So um not that they necessarily need to get lucky but they might need to avoid getting unlucky I guess um so that's probably the big thing but if if you look ahead I mean I just think he adds such a good variable you know I mean you look at them they they did okay against Iowa State offensively without Remy Martin playing big minutes so if you add him and, and his ability to break down a defense and get into the lane um that's really helpful and then um, you know, you look at them against a, a potential Miami matchup. Miami's kind of the inverse uh, of Iowa State, where they got, you know, great offense and, and horrible defense. And, um, you know, I mean, Remy Martin in kind of a, a, a shootout scenario, I mean, is, is pretty helpful. And I think they have the personnel to kind of, um, you know, to kind of slow Miami down a little bit when you look at, you know, how important Charlie Moore blast from the past has been. Um, you know, the fact that he's such a little guy, I mean, Dewan Harris can guard him pretty well because um, his big problem is, you know, guys who have size on him. So, um, I mean, I, I just, I think that they're set up and it's dangerous, but I think they're set up, you know, as, as pretty big favorites to go to the final four. And um, obviously the year that kind of springs to mind when you say that is 2011 when they beat 12 seed Richmond in the sweet 16 and then have 11 seed VCU in the final four with a, a team that you'd probably have to say is better than this one. Um, and so you you assumed that a Final Four was in the works, and, and obviously it wasn't. So you you can never um, have a guarantee when it comes to you know playing in the Final Four. But um, consider this: St. Peter's is the worst team in the in the tournament left by Ken Palm. Uh, the next three weakest teams are Miami, who's 42nd, Iowa State, who's 37th, and Providence, who's 33rd. So it's Kansas and three of the four weaker teams in the field, according to Ken Palm, and. Um, tough to get a a better lineup than that
0: i guess oh yeah for sure i mean yeah this is one of those i was i was uh definitely really happy with this draw kind of like you said providence is i I actually if if you look at the odds right now uh well never mind i actually just got to thinking about it it's like looking at the odds to come out of the region providence is getting dinged i think quite a bit because they obviously have to play kansas in the first game so right um yeah, Miami has the second-best odds, but they're at plus 500 in terms of coming out of the region. So Kansas is a favorite by far, as they should be. Um, yeah, I, I don't think you could have asked for a better draw. Like you said, you definitely have to wonder or worry about, you know, just because Kansas is such a huge favorite doesn't mean that they are, um, you know, a lock to come out of here or anything like that. We, we as Kansas fans have been hurt way too many times by those seemingly fantastic odds not going our way. But um, I, I think... My answer for the, you know, what worries me about this team in the next couple of weeks, I, I am a little bit worried that it's taken so long for a guy like Ochai Abaji and Christian Brown to kind of get back in this swing of things. You know, they've been, they've been trending downwards in terms of the number of points that they've been scoring or like the, the how, how efficient they've been for quite a few weeks now. And I fully expected Texas Southern to be like an opportunity for Abadji, um, you know, to really kind of get back to being his super efficient self. You know, he was better. A little bit, but he wasn't super efficient. I mean, he had eleven points on uh fourteen shots. So like it took him quite a bit to get the points that he had. Um similarly, Christian Brown had fourteen points on twelve shots. So like neither of them were incredibly efficient as they had been earlier in the year. I fully expected them to get and kind of, get back there. And then it wasn't it wasn't any better against Creighton. So I, that's what I'm kinda of worried about, you know, is is the potential that they are going to be fairly inefficient and that Kansas is going to have to try to find offense everywhere else instead of getting it from them. I I don't know that it's going to continue. I like, I I still have a lot of confidence that Abaji can get out of the slump, that he will get out of the slump at some point. The question is going to be, is it going to be enough? Is it going to be soon enough for them to not run into any other issues? So that, that that's what my worry would be. It's not that that it's not the amount of talent that they have. It's just the fact that it seems like people are struggling at a time where we can't really afford to have them struggle. Thank goodness that Remy Martin has come on at, at this point, because if he hadn't, and if DeWan Harris hadn't come, you know, in in the last two games, then I would be extremely worried about the possibility of them p- facing a Providence team that, by all you know measures, they should be winning handily against. So,
1: um, yeah, with. Yeah, I mean, with, with Ochai, I mean, I'd, I'd settle, frankly, for a guy who just is content to be a, a stand in the corner, come off screens guy and and shoot threes um, and then, you know, kind of crash the offensive glass and stuff like that. Because I just think if, you know, teams have to devote so much attention to him, um, that's going to open things up for other people. And, you know, the issue becomes, obviously, when you got DeWan Harris on the floor with him, you know, you saw that Texas Southern game and, and that Creighton game. I mean, they were just leaving him wide open especially that Creighton game I mean he was not getting guarded at all obviously he made a three and um, that changed things for a little bit but I mean for the most part they were leaving him wide open uh, at all times but you can't do that with Remy Martin and um, you know so if you got those guys on the floor together you know I'd be okay with Abaji going back to just being kind of a spot-up shooter I think he's kind of forcing things a little bit taking some bad mid-range jumpers um, you know the three-point shooting hasn't been great either obviously but You know, if he just if he just dedicates himself to that, and and you know maybe doesn't try to work so hard to to take those mid range jumpers and stuff like that, maybe that percentage will come up a little bit. But um, yeah, I I don't think that you're wrong in in worrying about that. Um, Brown has not been great from two either. Obviously, the three point shooting is has ticked up, but from two, he's kind of um, leveled off a little bit. One thing that's interesting, um, just to not to turn this into a big full Providence preview, I guess, but. Uh, the Friars, not so great in terms of rim defense. I mean, they allow teams to get to the rim uh, a fair amount and, and are not very good at rim defense. So, um, obviously, Christian Brown loves to go to the hole and, and try to score at the rim and has had issues doing that. But um, I think prominence might be an opportunity for him to to get some buckets at the rim. And, and same with Jalen Wilson, who likes to, to drive it as well. So, um, all in all, I think, you know, defensively anyway, not the worst matchup for Kansas. Offensively, I think they can maybe do some things if they – you know, spread it out and kick it out to their shooters that can bother, bother Kansas. But um, if it's a shootout, I mean, I'll I'll take Kansas against pretty much anybody at this point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's not a gigantic worry. I do think it it seems to be at least that Abaji has felt the pressure on him and is trying to do too much. And if he just settles in and does whatever he can get, um, then it'll come a little bit more naturally for him. But again, it's a good problem to have that, you know, you're by far and away national player of the year candidate, um is struggling a little bit that you have to have other people step up and there's plenty of other people right. there to step up so like it's it's kind of a an embarrassment of riches type of situation where you're not necessarily that super concerned about it so all right fetch um real quick before we get out of here for the day just wanted to note the Kansas women unfortunately their season did come to an end they had a phenomenal game in the first round against Georgia tech um you know i we 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 did that full preview of Georgia tech earlier uh this last week um, they are able to come out and just kind of blow the doors out of, you know, off at the end of that game, really kind of pull away there in the second half. Unfortunately, the same thing happened to them in the game, uh, on, on Sunday night against Stanford, where they were holding tight, you know, playing really well Went and actually went into halftime, only down by two and the gigantic third quarter for the Stanford Cardinal really kind of put it away and Kansas wasn't able to get close again. Still a fantastic season for them. They did, you know, I think much better than a lot of people expected them to, And I think the most exciting thing, if you're a Kansas fan is that every I'm sorry, all, but like maybe one or two of those main contributors is going to be back next year. The core pieces of this team are coming back next year. So the expectation is that this is going to be a good team next year. They're going to have an opportunity to really compete in the big 12, build off of what they did this year, you know, supplement that with a few pieces. And I think that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the big 12 conference on, on the women's side. So I'm really excited for that. I know that everybody else should be as well, but, uh, All right, Fetch. Any other final thoughts about the weekend that was before we get to whatever random sportsman you have for us today?
1: No, I think we'll we'll go ahead and and skip right ahead here. I'm I'm sure we're probably short for time at this point with my rambling about the bracket, but I can talk NCAA tournament for forever. So, Um, switching gears, we got the NCAA men's ice hockey tournament that was, uh, or the bracket that was just announced uh, on Sunday. Um, Sixteen teams in the bracket. Just a couple of quick overviews. Uh, Your four one seeds: Michigan, Western Michigan. Denver and Minnesota State. Um, the National Collegiate Hockey Conference, which is basically like the SEC of college hockey, I guess is probably the the way to describe it. I mean, they're the deepest conference and they they have the national champion uh, You know, for the last four of the last five years, I think it is, or five of the last six years. Um, they got five of the 16 teams in the field and uh, there's a possibility of an all uh, NCHC Final Four. Um, and it's only happened once where, or Frozen Four, excuse me, I'm, I got basketball on the brand. Um it's only happened one time. Uh that was in two thousand five where all all the frozen four teams uh came from the same conference. Um probably not gonna happen this year just because Michigan has been uh so great and, and Minnesota State has been really good as well, and neither of them are from the NCHC, but um it's a possibility. Um if you're looking for a rooting interest, uh the University of North Dakota did make the tournament uh yet again. Um they'll face off against Notre Dame in the first round on Thursday. I will of course be uh, watching that with bated breath and, and thank God they play Thursday, Saturday, because obviously Kansas, you know, plays Friday and then if they win Sunday. So it could be a, a very happy or a very sad weekend of sports for me.
0: Yeah, I was just say, um, you know, kind of like this last weekend, it was Kansas men, Kansas women, Kansas men, Kansas women you know, in back-to-back games, uh, it'll be nice for you to not have to try to watch two games at the exact same time. Cause right. I can tell you right now that sucks trying to watch two different games.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, well, and, and, you know, my, my dream is for both teams to win a national championship in uh, um, the same year, uh, which um, it's gotten close a couple of times. Uh, obviously, you know, 2008 uh, Kansas won the national championship and UND lost in the semifinals uh, in the frozen four. So that's, that's the closest I've ever gotten. But I mean, if, that happens, and I can get a Viking Super Bowl. I think I'm, you know, I don't have to watch. I don't have to <laughs> oh, watch man. sports anymore. Everything will be, uh, everything will have been accomplished. By
0: okay, us. okay. You went from man, it's a, it's a real possibility that that could happen to just complete dreaming.
1: So. Yeah, I might, yeah. I might as well add in like the Powerball and stuff like that. If we're talking you know Vikings.
0: Minnesota Twins uh, World Series and <laughs> just, yeah, just keep yeah, adding in, exactly. you know a whole
1: bunch more. So. Hey, the, the Timberwolves are the six seed right now. I mean, they got a chance. <laughs>
0: Just get the clean sweep of every single sports yeah, exactly, championship exactly. in one year, and then you never have to watch sports ever again.
1: Exactly, so. yep.
0: <laughs> all right, Fetch. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, just Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe, get every episode as soon as it comes out. Can Give us a rating and a review. Five stars, nice comments would be absolutely fantastic. Uh if, if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is. We can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to so you guys, get you all the information. That you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at email.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the 1012 Podcast Network. So if you go on over to Twitter to at TEN12 Network, you can get links to all the great shows we have, cover all the teams in the Big 12 Conference. We're doing some fantastic work over there. And let me tell you, it's 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 fun being on some of those, and I enjoy listening to all of them as well. I know that you will too. So um, we are part of the Anchor platform. You can leave us a voicemail. Get your voice here on the show. Just go to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message, and I promise we'll get you on here. I really, really want you guys' reactions to the NCAA tournament, so definitely go ahead and do that. But uh, that's going to do it for us today. Make sure you visit our sponsor, Homefield Apparel. Promo code chalk12 gets you 15% off your entire first order. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Welcome one, welcome all, and yes, I want you to be listening to the Tortillas and Takes podcast, presented by 1012 Network. If you are a fan that is of a team that has 12 wins, going to the national championships every year, that just loves to talk about all the success that your program has had, well, then you're probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you are a fan that just likes to really be in it every week, and and really have a real good shot at winning it, you're also probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you have really high highs and really low lows and really drink quite a bit, you might be a Texas Tech fan. So come along and party with us here at Tortillas and Takes. We're going to sit back, crack open a cold one, eat some tortillas, and as, and as always, we're going to stay wrecked, people.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.